0: Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Eric. If you don't know me, I'm the location pastor here uh, for this location of Acclaim Bible Church. And if you've got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, uh, we'll be going from verse 1 to verse 13 this morning. So James 2, 1 through 13, we're in the middle of a series titled The Beauty of Faith. And so we're walking verse by verse through uh, the, the book of James. A couple of things that I want to give you. Uh, before um, I, I begin, man, I'm appreciative to everybody uh, who darkens the doors of a church each morning. So, for many of you, you're here and you're simply exploring Christianity, but like, you don't know what to make heads and tails of all of this, and you know you, you're trying to figure out, man, like, all right, what is the purpose of my life, and how does Jesus fit into that? And, and you're not a believer yet. Like, I want to say this is a place for you. Uh, this is a place. Uh, where you can hear a bit more about what the Bible says and who Jesus is. And uh, I guarantee you, you have questions that can be answered by a sovereign and wise God. Uh, if you are here, we just mentioned the turkey bowl. Uh, my prayer is that, uh, man, the people in your life experience Jesus through the community um, that he's placed here. I'm um, called the church. And the Turkey Bowl is an opportunity to do that because it's an opportunity for people to experience Christian community outside of a typical church service. So I wanna encourage you, for the Turkey Bowl, invite your friends that like to play football, uh, invite your friends that even like to watch football. Let me tell you, this year, uh, my wife has enjoyed football so much more because every time the Chiefs are on, Taylor Swift's up in the booth and they cut to her every (laughs) single play. And she's like, I'm a Chiefs fan now. I'm like, all right now. So all that to say, whoever you are for free to come out to the turkey bowl, it's going to be a good time. So let's do this. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And so James 2, 1 through 13, I'm going to read the whole section, but we're going to mainly focus on the first seven verses this morning. So James 2, 1 through 7, here it is. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, uh, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and are the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at at one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the word of God. You can be seated. Uh, Let's take a moment. Uh, Let's pray and let's jump in. Let's pray together. Father, you are incredible. As we sang earlier, our hallelujah, our praise belongs to you because you deserve it. You really do. You have been good to us. You have been better than, to us than we imagine, Father, you've been good to us in millions of ways. And right now, where we're seated, we're only aware of like two of them. You've been good to us, Father. And this morning, you speak to us through your word. And so, God, I pray that we do not sit above your word like critics, but we'll sit beneath it as servants, ready to learn and ready to say, God, can you speak to me today? Whatever you'll say to me today, I'll do it. Because your commandments are for our joy. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Hey, guys, to jump off. So a few years ago, my wife and I, uh, we went uh, to Embassy Day. Has anybody here been to Embassy Day before? Anybody? Just me? Okay, cool. Uh, a couple of you guys. Uh, so, uh, NBC Day is a day where uh, the embassies in D.C. open the doors to their embassies. You're able to walk in, and you're able to experience a little bit of what life might look like in that country. And so, we went, we went to the Indonesian embassy. We went to the embassy of Botswana. We went to the, in, uh, the embassy of Nicaragua as well, and it was incredible. Uh, so, you walk in, and, and you get to hear the music, the sights, and the sounds of a particular country. I love it because the embassy was kind of a portal uh, to another place. It was a portal to a different culture, and I I just love it. Man, it it was fun. It it was so fun because I was in D.C., but when I walked into the doors of the embassy without even leaving D.C., I was actually able to travel abroad. You see, on embassy day, you get a taste of another place. And now imagine this thought experiment, that on embassy day that I walked into the doors of the embassies, and uh, I walked in to the, the embassies of different countries, and absolutely nothing was different when I walked in. Like, say it was filled with everything that I could get in D.C. So say I walked into the embassy of Indonesia, and I walked in, and everybody's wearing J. Crew. And I walk in, and they're serving Northside Social Coffee, right? And then I walk in, and, and the food on the menu is hot dogs and hamburgers, right? But I, man, embassy Day was free, but I think I would say, listen, let me get my money back. Right? Because, like, why would I sit in traffic in DC where if I'm entering the doors of a, 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 to another place, to an embassy or, 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 or whatnot, why would I go there if I could simply get this up the street on Wilson Boulevard? Right? See, the fact of the matter is this embassies are supposed to be distinct. On embassy day, those embassies were supposed to be distinct, they were supposed to be an attractive taste for a different place. An attractive taste of a different place. And I say all but to say, I think an embassy is a great way to describe the church. See, when we're talking about the church, the church, if you think about it, the church is an embassy of heaven. That's what the church is. The church is those people, it's not a building. The church are those people who've been saved by Jesus Christ, who have come to him, confessed their sin, trusted in him as Lord, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and God brings them together into the local church, and they are called to demonstrate what relationships look like when we all bring ourselves under the sovereign and loving and good rule of the God of the universe. This is what it's supposed to be about. And when the world peers into the church, they should see things that are foreign to their experience in the world. This is what they should see. They should see and they should have an experience of personal relationships in the church that causes them to get a taste of another place and long to go there. This is what it should be. And in this letter, what is interesting is that James is writing to a church that was kind of like an embassy on American soil selling hot dogs. Like there was no distinctiveness, no attractiveness about the church that would help the culture around them long to go somewhere different. This so-called embassy of heaven that James was writing to, pretty much they were selling what the world already had. In that embassy of heaven, that church, they were selling favoritism. They were selling partiality. And let me tell you this morning that partiality happens when the world catches amnesia. Not the world, sorry, when the church catches amnesia. Partiality happens when the church forgets that it's an embassy of heaven and starts looking like everybody else around them. And so today we're actually gonna discuss three things that a church community forgets when the people in it show partiality. And so before I get there, I know communication breaks down when you don't actually define words. And so I'm going to take a moment to define what I believe partiality actually is. So I'm going to give you a definition. Uh, Partiality happens when we extend privileges to people based off of their perceived value to us. Partiality happens when we extend privileges to people simply based off of their perceived value to us. And I say that just to set this up, that every single human being that has ever walked this earth is created in the image of God. Therefore, they are imbued by God with an incredible dignity, value, and worth. And when someone trusts and believes in Jesus Christ, they are placed in a community called the church, the body of Christ. And it is in this community that God wants us to demonstrate the equal and incredible value that each person has. That's what he wants us to do. And here's the thing. Instead of accurately seeing their value through the lens of the God of the universe, what we tend to do is we see the value of people through the lens that the world gives us. I'll give you an illustration here. Um, so I used to watch a lot of television with my grandmother over the summer. My grandma used to take care of us over the summer. It was pretty cheap. Uh, babysitting for my mom, she used to drop us off while she would go to work. And the issue with my grandmother is that she never let go of the remote. And so my grandmother did not allow us to watch the sports that we wanted to watch. She not, didn't allow us to watch uh, the cartoons we wanted to watch. We watched what she watched. And so I'm in the house, eight years old, in here watching Days of Our Lives, right? Man, Victor, Victor was my guy. Days of Our Lives, eight years old, should not have been watching that. But then my grandmother also used to watch The Price is Right, right? Price is Right, Bob Barker, longtime time uh, host of the show. And uh, the whole show uh, was a series of games so that people could win money. And there was one game uh, where the contestant would come up, they would stand beside an expensive item, right? And then they would give the contestant all these numbers on the board. And the contestant had to rearrange all the numbers to match the actual value of whatever they were standing next to, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm yelling at the TV with my grandmother and I'm yelling out what the number should be. And the issue here is I'm eight. I was always wrong. And why was I wrong? I'm eight years old. I had not had enough experience in the world to determine the value of the thing that was in front of me, right? And so I'm looking up here like, y'all don't know what a Ford Mustang should, uh, what the value of a Ford Mustang is. I'm just, I'm just throwing out numbers. And the issue was this. I said it before. My experience of life in the world had not shaped me to see the value of what is in front of me. And I say that, I want to bring that home to your neighborhood this morning because this is us. Listen. Right now, you are being shaped by a world that has no clue of the value of the people. No clue. Your experience of life in this world has not shaped you to see the value of what's around you this morning in the, in the seats all around you. The actual value of people. I say all of this because we live in a world that gives incredible value and privilege to the rich. To the powerful to the beautiful to the fit to those with lighter skin to the young and it's easy to be partial to these kinds of people because of what af- being affiliated with these kinds of people gets for you it's easy for you to be partial to them because being partial to them and have a good relationship with these kind of people it gets you a little bit of status it gets you well thought of And in this verse, verse 1, James says straight up, he says, listen, show no partiality. Look at verse 1. It's a strong statement. James urges his brothers and sisters in Christ. These people who have been connected not by the blood coursing through their veins, they've they've been connected through the shed blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. He says, listen, show no partiality as you hold on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So pretty much he's saying, listen, stop sizing people up. Stop treating them differently based off of how you perceive them. Why? Because likely your perception is off. That's one. And then two, we ultimately are not to be partial when it comes to people because praise God, God is not that way with us. He's not. Y'all, the Christian church should be the most impartial place in the entire universe y'all the christian church should be the place where segregation never existed man it should be the church in the church apartheid should have never reached into the church when it comes to the poor and the marginalized the christian church should be a place where we don't simply serve the poor and the marginalized everybody does that but that the poor and the marginalized actually have a meaningful place in the life of the church. This is what it should be. And I want to pause here because I know many people point to the partiality and the segregation and the favoritism that the church has practiced in the past, and they say, I see that. That's why I don't follow Jesus. And let me tell you, I get that, but, but, but let me push back a little bit. Do not let the sin that Christ's followers have committed to color the character of God. Because our God does not show favoritism. And when Christians have fallen into partiality and favoritism, they are not not acting in line with the scriptures, they are acting against it. They are not acting in line with the God of the universe, they are acting in opposition to him. And guess what? When the church of Jesus Christ has practiced partiality, they place themselves in a dangerous place because they are acting against God. And I love this because in verse 1, he applies that holding on to faith in Jesus Christ and showing partiality, those two things are a contradiction. They're a contradiction. And this text actually shows us three things that we forget when we show partiality. So here's one. Partiality happens when the church community forgets that God is our judge. And that's the case here. Look at verse 2. Verse two says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and, and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Let's pause there. So James describes the scenario and I want to bring the scenario actually home uh, to, 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 uh, to here. And so apparently this uh, church that James is writing to had a hospitality team like ours here's the thing our hospitality team i hope i think y'all would never do this right and so all so you see this the church had the hospitality team and this hospitality team saw two different kinds of people walk this gauntlet that we call a lobby uh, to, to come into the church and the first guy that they saw was somebody who was dressed really nicely dressed to the nines he just got off his job working on the hill he's a congressman everybody knew his name and he was looking confused it's his first time visiting. You know, it's a hard time finding the parking garage. So he was already frustrated walking in. And so someone on the, on the hospitality team sees this guy. He's looking all kind of confused. And they say, hey, listen, hey, it's so great for you to be here. They shake his hand. They tell the congressman how much they enjoy him. And they saw him on CNN last night and how amazing it was. And, and they say, it's a, it would be a privilege for you to sit next to me this morning. And that the moment that they sat down, the person on the hospitality team started to get a little nervous because another person walked in and was walking right for them. Uh, This person wasn't nicely dressed. Their clothing was tattered. This person didn't smell all the way great. And instead of inviting that person over to sit with them, you know what they said? They said, you know what? Hey, instead of sitting up front with me, why don't y'all sit behind one of these pillars right here? Um, I'm gonna put you right here. Like, uh, no shade to anybody that's sitting behind the pillars right now. But uh, I'm gonna sit you, you behind the pillars, right? You really can't see the person that's on the stage, you know? Like, we could just hide you right there until uh, service is out there, and then you can go. Y'all yeah, think all of us will look at that picture and we would say, How dare a church treat people like that? Like, how dare we do that? Verse 4 actually describes what's happening in that scenario. It says, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So pretty much that person who's directing people where to sit, what they are doing is this. They have set themselves up as a judge to the value of people. They've said, this person who's deemed valuable with the world, you sit next to me. And someone who's maybe not deemed as valuable, you go sit over there. And that's absolutely wrong. And listen, if there's anyone that should know better, hear me. It's the church. Hear me this morning. We should be impartial in our judgments because God was impartial with his. You see, listen, my desires, my preferences do not dictate who's in and who's out of the church. God does, and God is impartial. Let me tell you, NBC Arlington, God has been impartial to you. He's been impartial to you. He has treated you without any regard of what you can do for him. Listen, I love this. God did not give you a financial application in order for you to be saved. God did not look at you and say, man, it would be great to have you, to, to have you in a relationship with me. You're so funny. Or you're so, you're so good looking. Or man, look at the taz on your clothes. Or man, you smell real good. You smell like Tom Ford. I would love to save you. No, God did not do that. God is impartial. And the Bible tells us that. I'm going to give you a couple of places. Deuteronomy 10:17. it says this. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Colossians 3.25, it says this. It says, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Acts 10, Peter is talking. Opening his mouth, Peter says, I most certainly understand that now God is not the one to show partiality, but in every nation... The man who fears him and does what is right is walk up to him. Then Romans 2.11, for there is no partiality with God. I hope I'm driving home the point here. But I want you to listen to this. If you think about it, God's impartiality is actually not good news at first. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible declares something about ourselves that I think we deep down know, but we're afraid to admit, is this that we're not perfect. Um, The Bible calls um, human beings, we've all sinned against God, and that seems harsh, but that pretty much just means this. God has created us, and because God created us, we believe that God has ownership over us, and this ownership is not like some uh, angry dictator. Our God is a loving father. His rule is good like a father's rule, and and yet, you know what? We declare to him, we've said, listen, God, we don't want your rule. That's what we said in our sin. We said, God, listen, um, we're going to treat you as if you're not good, as if you're not trustworthy, as, as if we know better than you. So each and every single one of us, we have sinned against God. We've done what we've wanted. And the Bible says that God is just and that he will judge us. And his impartiality is not good news to us at first. Why is that? Because his impartiality means that God is not giving hookups based off of who you are and what you can do for him. You can do absolutely nothing for God. You can't even do enough good to make up for your bad. All of us will say that God is a judge who impartially condemns. And you might look at me this morning and you said, Eric, I came here to get encouraged. And you just told me your bad news. God is an impartial God. He condemns. You can't do anything right. That doesn't feel good. Is that good news? No, it's not good news yet. God is good, but it's not good news for us yet because right now God's impartiality means our judgment. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. The good news is this, that God did not leave us in that state, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us, that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life in perfect obedience to his father. He always did what his father told him to do. He always trusted his father's will. And because of that, Jesus deserved the favor of God. And yet Jesus died on an old Roman cross for you in your place. So that if you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord, guess what? You can be forgiven and you can enjoy a relationship with God. And this is good news. And I love it because it doesn't matter who you are. You can enjoy this doesn't matter if you're broke or rich. doesn't matter if you're black or white. It, 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 it doesn't matter if you're witty or awkward. It doesn't matter if you're model material or not. It doesn't matter. Here's the good news. The God who impartially condemns is the same God who impartially saves us through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And all this, I'm going to bring you back to this point. Because we serve a God who impartially saves, and he places those all those different kinds of people who he impartially saves into the church and to communities like this one, who are we to judge? We don't judge who, who's in and out here. God does. Which moves me to my next point. Partiality happens when the church community forgets that God is our sovereign God, that he is sovereign. I want you to take a look at verse five. Verse five says, James says, listen, my beloved brothers, that's not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom of God. I want to pause there because that verse can be a little confusing. Let me tell you what it's not saying. It would be very easy for you to read that verse and say, hold on, God is telling me uh, God told me not to be partial, but he's showing partiality. It's easy to read this verse and to say, and to think, hold on, he's telling the church to not be partial to the rich, but he's showing partiality to the poor. Uh, I've actually seen uh, different uh, people say that this verse actually means that God loves poor people more. And, and I want to say that's not the case. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that being poor is a prerequisite to being saved, because when you look at the Bible, there are a lot of rich people that God dearly loved. You got people like Abraham and people like David who were uh, incredibly rich uh, uh, during their time. However, this is what he's doing. He's trying to remind the church of this, that being poor is not a a barrier to a relationship with God. Being poor is not a barrier to having a relationship with God for enjoying him and to bring it home to a point Since being poor is not a barrier to have a relationship and fellowship with God, guess what? Being poor should not be a barrier for experiencing the fellowship within the life of the church. It shouldn't be. And this leads to a good question that I want to ask you and I want you to consider. What are some barriers that you erect that God doesn't? What are some of the barriers that you have in your life that you erect that are barriers to protect you from some kinds of people that God doesn't. What does a person have to be like? Well, what does a person have to be like in order to enjoy a deep friendship with you? And I want to land on this point because, man, I've been in D.C. for about 10 years, and I've realized that when you come to D.C. and you're new here, man, you typically run towards the people who are just like you or the kinds of people that you want to become like. And so to put it in terms of an analogy, what happens is you become the sovereign orchestrator of your relationships. It's kind of like you holding auditions. So what happens is you think that you're the main actor of your life and then you're the director of your life as well and that uh, you call the shots. So when you come to D.C., what you start to do is you start to look for supporting characters to support the narrative that you call your life. I see it all the time, people come to the city and young and wide-eyed and they're like, you know what, right now, I need the role, I need roles in my life filled. I need the role of wife or husband filled in my life. I need somebody to play the character of best friend. I need the character of mentor filled as well. And so what we do is we walk even through the church and we look for people to fulfill those roles in our lives. You walk around and and if a person doesn't look like the type that can fulfill those roles you kind of just write them off so you meet somebody who may look a little different than you maybe their English is a little broken I don't know maybe they mispronounced the word hors d'oeuvres I don't know and as a result of that you call out next and let me tell you this morning that's what our world does And that shouldn't be the case in the church. Why? Because when you come to Jesus, you are no longer the main actor of your life. You're no longer the sinner. Jesus is. He really is. You're no longer the sovereign Lord of your life. Jesus calls the shots. And guess what? That's for your joy. And in this movie that we call the history of the world, he's redeeming people from every side of the track, from all people, from all nations. I love it, and he's given us the power to be in relationship with one another. And this means this. I say this all the time around here. It means that the church community is not one that we conceive. It's one that we receive. Like, man, we tend to walk into places, and like, man, we don't watch too many Friends episodes. I don't even watch Friends. I watch Living Single, but same thing, same concept, (laughs) right? Uh, And we walk around thinking, man, I want friendships that like that where all the people who would look the same as me, upperly mobile, living in a city, that's what we want. And we come to places like this and we try to conceive what we believe is our perfect community. But no, 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 no. The church is not a community that you conceive. The church is a community that you receive. We don't think it up. God makes it. And everything he makes is good, so we need to receive it. <laughs> Y'all, when we sovereignly try to create our own communities filled with people that fit us, you are saying something that is the epitome of pride. You know what you are saying? You are saying that, God, I know how to create a community for my life better than you know how to create a community for my life. That's the epitome of pride. It really is. And so NBC Arlington, hear me today. This is not a place where you should spend your whole time just simply trying to create your social life. And that's not a bad thing. Like, if that happens, like, yeah, yes, we, we love the fact that you hang out and you have a great social life in the church. But here's the thing your primary motivation is not to build your kingdom, your primary motivation is to build the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit. That's it. And I'm, I, I'm gonna give you a break. Let me pull back a little bit. Y'all, it is normal and right. It is fine. It's normal and right to love your family. It is normal and right to be naturally predisposed to certain kinds of people. It's even normal and right to love people who benefit you in some way. None of those things are wrong, it's normal. But can I tell you something this morning? There is nothing of the gospel in that. There is nothing in the gospel in that. Why? The gospel shows up when you love people who are not like you. The gospel shows up when you begin to love people who don't fit you right away. Why is that? Because that's what Jesus did for you. Jesus in His holiness and you and your sin, you don't fit. <laughs> we are way more than you are different than the person on this earth that is different than you. To a greater degree, we are that different than God. And I love it. All of us were on the wrong side of the track, and if Jesus was holding all dishes, he, he should have looked at us and said "Next." But I love this our impartial God has taken a people in their sin from all over the globe, and all these people were different than him. People who are rich, people who are poor, people whose pockets are fat, or people who are like me, nothing in my pockets. People who are upperly mobile, and people who are at the rock bottom. People who live on Capitol Hill and in the hood. People in D.C., El Salvador, Nicaragua, Botswana, Indonesia. He takes people from everywhere, saves them, puts them in the body called the church, and calls them to love one another by the power of the Spirit. This is what he does. And NBC Arlington, we need to be a people that embody that. Let me tell you, my prayer for the church is that we'll see some deep friendships that only the gospel can bring together. That's my prayer. Honestly, real talk, I'm going to tell you another prayer I got. I ain't going to go in on you. So, so, so just, just, yeah. We need to see some different kinds of dating and marriages in this church that, that display the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ain't going to go in December 3rd. We're going to have a, 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 a dated seminar. Put it on your calendar. Somebody from the last service said, no, nah, I preach, Pastor. But, and I'll just put it this way. I'll put it this way. Listen, men and women. Some of your so-called preferences are simply partiality in disguise. December 3rd, be there. (laughs) But here's my question. Here's my question for you. NBC Arlington, do you trust the God of the universe to build a better community for your life than you can? Let me give you my last point. Partiality happens when the church community forgets that Jesus is our glory. Partiality happens when the church community forgets that Jesus is our glory. Go ahead and look at verses 6-7. It says this. It says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were were called? Y'all, I'm almost out of time, but I'm I'm gonna spend a, a few minutes here so I think that test could be confusing to some of us. We can say, hey, like, what is James talking about? And I think here James is, not making a, James is not making a general statement. He's making a specific statement to the people that he's talking to. So like, he's not saying that all rich, all people who are rich are like oppressive and, 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 and all people who are rich blaspheme God because by the standards of the world, I don't care how broke you are in America, every single person that's sitting in this room, you're rich. You're rich compared to the world, right? So he's not saying that, but I think he's describing or, or, or addressing a specific situation in the church that he's writing to. And so apparently the rich people in that church, um, they, they were oppressive to the church. They didn't love God. And James is telling this church, hey, listen, how are you showing partiality to these people? And listen, they don't even love you. <laughs> they don't care about you. And they also don't even care about God. They're blasphemers of God. And I think this reveals something that we need to be aware of because we got a temptation, right, in the eyes of our world to deeply desire the approval of people more than the approval of God. For some of us, we are using Jesus and our relationship with him uh, and we're trying to get his cosign so that he can get us what we actually want. For many of us, it's like, Jesus, I worship you if you would just give me the promotion. Jesus, man, I'll worship you if you, if, if, if you if you only will, 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 will uh, man, get me married. Jesus, i worship you if that this and the third, and what you declare in there is this, is that you would rather have the approval of people rather than the approval of God of the universe. Is His approval of you sufficient, sufficient to give joy to your soul? Listen, your partiality always reveals what you want more. So these people were disobeying the commands of God in verse 1 because in that moment they were saying, man, what the rich can give me, the approval, the accolades, the appearance of success, that's better than what God can give me. That's what they were declaring in that moment. And these people are saying, I would rather side with the rich than side with God. And all this is to say, there's one phrase in verse 1 that, um, uh, that can be easily missed, but I want us to remember it. Um, Josh, you can go ahead and come back up. James 2.1, it says this. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and catch this phrase, the Lord of glory. And one of the principles of reading your Bible is this. is that like there are no wasted words in the Bible. The whole thing is inspired. And so when when he gives this this descriptor of Jesus Christ, he's not just giving it, he's giving it for a reason. And here's why. I don't think James is simply just saying what what Jesus has right it's not really highlighting that Jesus has glory he certainly does he's also highlighting that Jesus gives glory and the glory that he gives is better than the glory that the world offers that's what he's highlighting right our Jesus is indescribable in glory He is sitting in the right hand of the throne of the Father. There is one day that he is going to return to judge the living and the dead, and we're going to see his glory in all the fullness that it is. Our faith will become sight, and that day is surely happening. But what I love is that for those who have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, who are called his children, we receive the glory of being known and loved and approved of by him. Man, there's a verse in John 5.44 that illustrates some of the tension that I was talking about before. So, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says, how can you believe in me when you receive the glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So, all of us are saying, the people in this text were partial because they, they believe that the glory that they get from the rich, the approval, the access, the stuff... It's more than the kind of approval that God can give them. And the reason why we are partial to people is for the same exact reasons. Because you think you need glory from them rather than glory that comes from God. And many of us are stuck in this. So, all of us to say listen, y'all, we all feel a temptation to be partial, to love and pursue those who are more comfortable to us, to treat people better based off of who fits you more to ignore people who are uncomfortable to you or don't fit in, or the kinds of people that offer no social benefit or no social credit for you, with, uh, for you being in a relationship with them. But listen, I want to encourage you guys, NBC Arlington, to fight that temptation. I want to encourage you to say, God, listen, I know I shouldn't be partial. I know you place certain people around me and it's a little hard to connect with them. I don't see myself gaining anything from them. It's also okay to be honest about that. But let me tell you, when you pursue that person in love, you are demonstrating that what you have received from God, his eternal life, his joy, his salvation, is enough to satisfy your soul way more than any person can. When you are willing to enter into discomfort with difficult people, you know what you're doing? You're demonstrating that, man, this friendship that I have with Jesus Christ... That's the comfort that I need even in the midst of a discomfort with somebody else. Man, when you enter into the mess of people's lives, you know, you enter into somebody's mess and their anxiety, you begin to pick up some of their anxiety. But what you demonstrate when you inconvenience yourself in that way is that you have a friend in Jesus who's given you peace and that enables you to walk into a world and to bear burdens with other people. Man, when you enter into relationships with the kinds of people that offer you no social status, You know what you demonstrate? That the kind of status that fills your heart with joy does not come from your associated associated with a certain kinds of people. The status that fills your heart with joy is the status that can't be taken away. That because of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have been called a child of God, and that can fill your heart with indescribable joy more than anyone else on this earth can. And so NBC, all the time, my prayer for you in this church is so that we will see good friendships and hospitality not based off of commonality, physical commonality, but simply the fact that we've been united by God to the point that people see friendships and loving relationships that don't fit. And they look at you and they're saying, man, how in the world are y'all friends with one another? I would never pick that. And we can say we know, but Jesus Christ is powerful enough to unite the kinds of people that the world can't. Listen, I pray that we see dating and marriage relationships in the church and they'll look at y'all and be like, yo, how y'all end up together? Man, I pray that we see some tens and some twos together. (laughs) I pray that we see some fit and some not so fits together, right? Because those kind of relationships demonstrate the power of the gospel. When people look at y'all and they look at you and say, yo, how in the world did you bag her? (laughs) How in the world did you bag him? And your first blanche isn't, oh, well, she was hot, I was hot, and we got together. <laughs> and your first blanche isn't, oh, okay, cool, yo, we, got, we vibe on, on, on a personality level. Nah, but we can say, no, listen, she loves Jesus, he loves Jesus, I love Jesus too, and the power of the gospel is enough to unite us in a love relationship with one another. NBC Arlington, do not show partiality. Let's be about this work. And we can do it because the spirit dwells among us. Let's go do it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for a beautiful day. And we thank you so much for the grace that we've received in Christ Jesus. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have shown partiality. Father, I pray that when we heard that sermon, that we weren't thinking about somebody else. we weren't thinking about somebody that we know that needs to hear that. But Father, I pray that you will allow us to hear your word and to ask ourselves, God, how how are you calling me to respond to the word that was just read? Father, for those who don't believe in you, I pray that they will respond by placing their faith in you. And they will recognize that you have been impartial to them, that you have offered them salvation through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that you've offered them a new purpose in life, forgiveness. And I pray that they will trust in you as Lord. For those of, you, for those of us who claim you, and yet we're showing partiality, I pray that you will grant us repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. I pray that we will repent of our sin, that we will understand how you have been good to us and that because of that, we'll be good to each other and that we'll declare to the watching world that this church will be an embassy of heaven. They'll walk in and see the kind of relationships that they don't see on the hill. They don't see in Arlington. And they'll say, how is this possible? And we can point to the beauty of the gospel. Father, we need you to do that. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.